so stupid, he comes across in front of me every single time he ever takes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! A weekend so crazy, the Mahias rule was the third wildest thing that happened. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Welcome to episode 205 of Motorsport 101, and I'm back! It's your friendly neighbourhood host, Mr. Andre Harrison, off, back after a two-week hiatus. Good to see you guys, everybody. Good to see everybody. Oh my god, RJ, you've grown. Um, <laughs> I've grown amazed with bewilderment at... What did we just watch? What did we just watch this weekend? Yeah, no, seriously, what the fuck did we just watch this weekend? I, I've got nothing for you here. This, like this, I was going to nickname this the Golden Weekend because we've got a three-pronged attack of the Formula One German Grand Prix, the 42nd running of the Suzuka 8 hours in the world of biking, which is equivalent to basically being the all-star game for bikes. <laughs> and, and IndyCar, which had a spectacular finish. Between two teammates, believe it or not. More on that towards the end of the show. But uh, a, a, an absolutely wild, ridiculous weekend. So much so, the Spa 24 Hours is barely getting a mention. That's how wild this weekend was. I remember been... waking up, not to jump the lead, but I remember waking up to all the things that went down at the end of Suzuka and thinking, this can't get any crazier, right? And then the right? German Grand Prix steps in and is like, here, Hold my, hold my beer. <laughs> hold my lederhosen, which Simon Lazenby was wearing after the race. He must have, lo- <laughs> he, 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 he must have lost the bet. Like that, that's the only logical explanation for this shit. Um, he had to have lost the bet. It's the it, like it's the only way. With me, as always, as you can probably already tell, is RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. Um, I also have, uh, have things to say about this IndyCar race and that it was definitely one that took place at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course at Lexington, Ohio. That, that's about the highlight of, of, of the race for, uh, one big Joseph Newgarden fan in the corner. More on that later. <laughs> yes, that, that kind of sums it up well. And in the blue corner... We've uh, accidentally suspended Chris DeHarde for for casualties towards the Iowa race, so replacing him is another bootleg American, Cam Buckley. Hello, sir. Hi, everyone. Um, I wasn't supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be working on a few things. But, uh, you know, they, they came to my house. They threatened to lock me in a room full of tuna, and it's like 90 degrees Ooh. out in, in New Hampshire. So for the betterment of everyone here, I'm here to fill in for King. What, what do I even say in response to that? <laughs> Motorsport 101, officially better than being trapped in a hot room full of tuna. Great! That's going to be a new tagline. <laughs> it rolls right off the tongue. It's great. No, as I was saying, it is going to be an absolutely whacking massive show. We're probably going to go two hours plus, and we don't care because... This was an epic weekend. Formula One had the German Grand Prix, which now only delivers in spectacular races. And we had probably a race of the decade contender here um, in Germany, where 
goodness only knows how we're going to get through it all because uh, it was a trip from Saturday all the way through. You like you wouldn't believe. In the world of bikes, we had the 42nd running of the Suzuka 8 hours where Kawasaki was set to win until they didn't. Until they did again. <laughs> again, the last 10 minutes, completely spectacular and somehow only the second wildest finish of the day. Don't ask me how. It doesn't make any sense. And yes, the Mahias rule creeped its ugly head for the third time. Again, don't ask me how. It's a complicated one. We'll get to it later. And we have IndyCar's Grand Prix of Mid-Ohio, where, well, death, taxes, Scott Dixon wins in Mid-Ohio. You're all shocked. But how he got there was, again, rather spectacular. Especially if you're a flying Swede. <laughs> And not so much if you're a, a, shall we say, slightly uh, aggressive American. But which one? Who knows? I'll give you a hint. One of them is a big fan of them on this show. And I'll give you a hint. It's not me. <laughs> oh, dear. And we've got a whole bunch of other news to get through, including the Spa 24 Hours, Road to Indy recap. Mick Schumacher showed up, and it was wholesome. Uh, a massive domino fall in, in the IndyCar silly season wagon involving one Alex Rossi. And Alan Prost is actually going back into the boardroom. More on that later as well. It's going to be an absolutely stacked show this time around. Um, hope you guys enjoy it. Before we get into the meat and potatoes of the, of the, of the show, with a little breakdown. Basically, you can find this real quick. We're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. I am determined to get a video out at some point this week regarding that ridiculous race in Germany. So stay tuned on that. It will probably be a Dre brief. Stay tuned. Uh, we're on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. If you'd like to follow our, our personal handles, you can at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, and at CBuckley717. Just yank out the vowels. You'll 917. 917, close enough. Of course he named his Twitter handle after a Porsche. I'm shocked. Shocked, I say. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, just uh, yank out the vowels in that one, and you'll figure out the rest from there. And if you really, really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. $5 gets you early access to all of our shows before they go out. And $10 gets you into the supporters club of our Discord server, where you can listen to these shows live before they go out. We were sitting in the Discord this time around. We've got Brian's in here. We've got Vince in here as well. James has just joined us in all the way from the from from Australia. Your boys are getting smashed in the ashes this week, by the way. Just for like to remind you of to, to know your place. Um, <laughs> Lewis is here. Good to, see, good, good to see Lewis is here as well. Toki is here, who's uh, literally crying into Lewis Hamilton's bathwater as we speak. And Steve is here as well. Hope you guys enjoyed the show this time around. Um, <laughs> I, was like, I love that the Aussie immediately tried to run us with the island test joke. Well played. We won the goddamn test. Okay. Australian cricket fans, if you have uh, any complaints about the uh, about the content that you've just seen in this intro or heard in this intro, please send your complaints to at Lewis Sutterby twenty three on Twitter. No. <laughs> <laughs> How many times are we going to keep dropping Lewis in the shit? It's it's it's, it's a bit unfair at this point. <laughs> Leave him alone. <laughs> also, special shout out to a new Patreon backer as well, Zayl Atkins. Thank you very much for backing us. 
Hope you enjoy your early access. Thank you very much indeed. Um, it, it, just as a fun fact, we have now actually broken our own record for the most amount of Patreon backers we've ever had at 27. So thank you all of you for wasting your money on us. Uh, <laughs> um, also, another response from Lewis in the Discord. Dawn a party line. The Aussies are getting rinsed and sandpaper is not permitted. <laughs> Get, make your own jokes here. Oh. So... Without further ado, after the sweet musical interlude, we're going to get into a whopper of a German Grand Prix. Could you describe the conditions around the track at the moment, please? Uh, what? No, RJ, seriously, what the fuck did we just watch? What did we just watch? I came into this expecting nothing. Not only did it over-deliver, we potentially got a race of the century candidate. You, you race know, of the decade, yes. Race of the century. Absolutely. You know, we just, you know, we're all set for a Mercedes 1-2. Holy shit! Everything's <laughs> happening! It, it, it was wild. Honestly... I literally, and you know what, I got away with this one because I'll give you a little story. One of my good friends of mine is a guy called David. You may follow him on Twitter at CRL underscore Stone. He's a good mate of mine, a great um, bike and uh, car fan. And he literally put it out there, I can't wait for a boring race on Sunday morning. And he's just now got a row of like 115 L's in reply. Poor fella, because I, I literally put the same morning. Actually, the fact it's raining will probably actually help out Mercedes and make it a 1-2. <laughs> a funny thing I? happened <laughs> a lot of funny things happened we got to kind of go back to saturday to kind of put this into into uh real context mostly because the way the weekend had been going in practice it seemed like charles leclerc might actually be favorite for the weekend um and ferrari were looking again their usual strong in practice self but uh Again, we get to qualifying and disaster strikes. In Q1, Sebastian Vettel's car limps back to the pits, struggling to get airflow into his turbo. That problem ended up being terminal for the session, and less than 10 minutes into qualifying, Vettel is leaping out of his car, and he will be starting from the back of the grid. Dre is now at this point ready to burn down the church, build up the super church, and then burn down the super church in protest. <laughs> Yeah. I was like, fuck it. How how big can I make this church and then immediately burn it down afterwards? Because I'm like, what has a man got to do to catch a break? Yeah. But, uh, but hey, at least Ferrari fans are going to have solace in the fact that Charles Leclerc is, oh, hang on, similar things are happening in McCoo 3 too. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on around here? Yeah. Yeah, ev ev everyone gets out for their initial runs in Q3 except for Charles Leclerc. Turns out his car wasn't working either, so he was forced to start from P10. Um, so, Ferrari, one and two, if you add a zero on the end. Yep, catastrophic Oops. intercooler failure. I believe an airline to the intercooler in Vettel's car, the uh, Toyota 2016 Special. <laughs> and uh, fuel pump failure. Catastrophic fuel pump failure for Charles Leclerc. At, at this point, every Ferrari fan has not only thrown the toys out of the pram, they've thrown the pram into a ditch and then set the pram on fire. It, it's, it's, oh, oh boy. And this... I, I, I was livid. I was absolutely seething with rage. I was just like, even my mum, who doesn't normally watch Formula One with me, was like, 
Dre, what's going on at Ferrari? And I was like, the fuck if I know? <laughs> um, I've been Dre, saying this for the last two years. <laughs> Dre, what was your tweet about a video that probably, that may or may not happen? What did you say you were going to do to Ferrari? I was going to dunk on them so hard it would make Giannis look like he was 4 foot 11. Um, <laughs> that video has now been put on hiatus. Funny how these things turn out. <laughs> Until at least Hungary. Yeah, we'll give it another week. Um, <laughs> I've still got like four bullets in the chamber just in case, quite frankly. Um, more on that again later. Remember that, it does become important. Um, but in in the midst of the chaos and everyone in shock that Ferrari have shit the bed not once but twice in the space of half an hour, Lewis Hamilton became the first man to set a 71 second lap of the Hockenheim ring, a 111.7, laying the beat him down and everybody around him by nearly half a second over Max Verstappen, who had sneaked onto the front row ahead of Valtteri Bottas by 16 thousandths, with Pierre Gasly in fourth on row two. Good for him. Aww. Although, funnily enough, he was only 16 thousandths ahead of Kimi Raikkonen, who had put through a monster lap to put himself in fifth. See, there Kimi we go. Raikkonen a Ferrari driver put in a good performance in qualifying, just as we all expected for it to be Kimi Raikkonen. Did they put Did they put Michelin stickers on those tires? I don't know. They, they, they put nitroglycerine in the fuel tank. It might have worked. Um, although, the funny thing is, he was actually slower than his Q2 time. <laughs> oh, my goodness. By... His, his Q2 time was two hundredths of a second faster, funnily enough. Like, the track seemed to deteriorate as the, as the session went on. Um, a lot of guys were were only barely faster in Q3. Um, Pierre Gasly was a tenth and a half slower in uh, Q3. Mostly because he had one of his times removed, which didn't exactly help the situation either. Yeah, um, there were lots were... of clamping down on track limits, particularly at exit of turn one and in the last corner complets. That last corner complex, those two right-handers at the end of the lap. Do you think these will come yeah. back to come back in the later later in this report? Maybe. Just 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 throwing that out there, because you know hashtag track lives matter, um, etc. Because yeah, the, the stewards were like, hey, well, now we're gonna clamp down on track limits, and to watch my response was literally, I can't wait for this not to be enforced. <laughs> Thankfully, with the race, it didn't have to. But uh, as mentioned, Charles Leclerc starting 10th, Sebastian Vettel starting from the back with Lando Norris alongside him because Lando had to replace some uh, some engine parts. Um, so, we get into the race start. Oh, and did I mention it pissed down with rain overnight and largely into the Grand Prix itself? Because um, it did. Um, it absolutely chucked down with rain and the race was declared wet. We started behind the safety car. Um, the new regulations came into play now where you can now set an infinite number of formation laps until the stewards at their discretion, or race starter now, at their discretion can decide whether to start with a standing start on the wet grid or have a rolling start, obviously when the safety car pulls in. I think they did three formation yes. laps beyond the normal yes. one. Yes. So as a result, they take they take the three laps off the race count. So it's a bit like the old uh, false start rule in Formula One back in the day, where if somebody false started another formation lap and they just took one off, mm-hmm. they just took one off the the, the the total for the race. Very old school. But uh, after a couple of whiny radio messages from Lewis Hamilton. 
par for the course, and Max Verstappen. We got a standing start in the rain, which I think is the first time that's actually happened since they started tweaking these rules, which was uh, interesting, to say the least, because uh, both Red Bulls bogged down like a motherfucker. All four um, Honda-powered cars got horrendous starts. VTEC's yeah, got to kick in later, folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> VTEC doesn't kick in until like 11,000 on the dash. It's a problem. Um, so, yeah, both Red Bulls bogged down nasty. Verstappen lost, I think, four spots. Um, Gasly had a similar fate. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love that Lewis pointed this out real quick as a side note. I have to mention this. To be fair, they probably thought they'd already need the safety car start after a bus plowed into the start lights on Thursday. How did That's we forget about true. this already? <laughs> this happened That's on how Thursday. fucking wild the race was. We've completely forgot that a bus on the track plowed into the start lights over the bridge on Thursday morning. Of, because of course. <laughs> because of course. Of course it did. Again, barely touches the top ten for crazy shit that happened this week. That should have been a That's sign. That should have been a sign that we were going right. to get some batshit crazy stuff. Right, so everybody started out on the extreme wet, safety car start, goes into a standing start, both Red Bulls bogged down, Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas take off, especially Hamilton, you know, weather specialist and all that. Um, so, you know, Raikkonen takes advantage, he goes up into third, he had a monster start, um, as did Sebastian Vettel and Charles wait, Leclerc. Leclerc wait, was was Trey. Yeah? That Alfa Romeo start... To quote you, More remember it, it becomes very important later. <laughs> but not Max before Sergio of... Perez throws it away four laps into the race. Yeah, this was this was this was the start of what we call some unfortunate events. Um, both Ferraris got off to monster starts. Charles Leclerc was up four spots into sixth place. Vettel had gone from twentieth to fourteenth, and then the first safety car came out. Just Sergio Perez had spun it just before the stadium section and put it in the wall. Safety car deployed. Oh, boy. Just past turn 11. That was actually on lap two, believe it or not, RJ. That was the second lap of the race. Yeah. Um, and uh, a couple of the back runners, Sebastian Vettel and Alex Albon, both immediately came in for intermediates, which, I mean, let's be real here. The extreme wets are virtually useless in today's F1. They are... They are used to transport vehicles, if and not much more. If it's bad enough for full wets, they generally red flag it anyways. Yeah, because it's probably just a bit too dangerous at that point. It's, uh, oh, some I people wish... did try and uh, run the full wet tires, including Kevin Magnuson, who was up in the top ten, deep into the top ten at this point, and then, well, that turned out to be a big mistake, didn't it? He got the piñata treatment, basically, because the extreme wets are not good for racing. Who would have thought it? Um, He thought, let me take the track position as the entire field comes in for Inters. K-Mag gambled on the extreme wets. His gamble did not work. Um, It it won't be the last time you hear of of Magnussen yo-yoing. Again, more on that later. Safety car comes in on lap five. Um, Again, it was five people that came in for or stayed out on the wet tires. It was Magnussen, Stroll, Lando Norris, George Russell, and Robert Kubica. Um, and again, they all pretty much sunk to the back of the field pretty quickly because the intermediate tires were so much quicker. Uh, lap 14, Daniel Ricciardo has an exhaust failure. Sad face. Um, Danny Rick, who probably would have loved a race like this, funnily enough. Um, his Renault carks it, unfortunately. That caused a virtual safety car. Um... T- 
And Ferrari pulls off a 20D chess move that actually works out because they bring Charles in for fresh intermediate tires. Remember, kids, they're only allowed four intermediates for the entire weekend. Um, so they were, it was a relative gamble from uh, Ferrari to uh, give up some track position and some time to put a fresh set of Inters on. And it actually worked out beautifully because, again, he was about two seconds a lap faster for those initial five, six, seven, eight laps that... He was on the fresh set compared to everybody else. So Claire was marching through the field. Again, more on that later. If you see a pattern emerging now, good. You're a smarter man than me. Um, we also missed out on lap 18. Carlos Sainz becoming the first victim of what I have now beautifully nicknamed the drag strip of poor judgment. The drag strip of poor judgment. All shall skid. Some will escape the gravel, but in the end, everybody is prone to the drag strip of poor judgment. It was a bad yes. day to uh, wear a white driver's suit. Yeah, a, a lot of poop may have been um, may may have come out over the course of that race weekend. That's um, not basically... nitrous oxide. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> for those guys who don't know, Hockenheim has a drag strip right by the outside of turn 16. I wonder um, what the LS swap Yugo can do on that quarter mile. It probably mm. can generate more grip than F1 cars out on that surface in the rain. <laughs> Especially on the snow tires. <laughs> he still owes Cam a 10-second car. Now, <laughs> now guys, guys, no, there is... There is a drag strip on the outside of turn 16. Now, the track itself was pretty good at diverting the water away, apart from sector 3. It's, like, turn 16 itself is cambered, so water can run off towards the inside of the grass. However, the drag strip on the outside of the corner was basically one giant river. Um, it, let's just say it didn't have any drainage, and the water just stuck there. So if you put a wheel on the curb uh, on the outside of turn 16... You were screwed. And uh, Charles Sainz was the first victim, but he was able to, to actually spin out, recover, and uh, get back going on, under his own power. Well, I believe um, when his was... incident happened, he was still on inters. Yes. So he had some semblance of grip out there. Oh, yeah. Others did not. Yes. <laughs> Basically. Yeah, he was the first of several spinners at this corner. We'll get to that later. Um, about five laps after that, we get to lap 22. It's a critical lap because the first guy to blink and gamble on a set of slicks was Kevin Magnuson. <laughs> We're going to call him now in this show, Kimmy Big Bollocks. Um, but uh, K-Mag came in, switched to the soft tires immediately. Sebastian Vettel was also was the first guy to get on the dries afterwards, as was Max Verstappen. Again, like, Valtteri was one of the guys, first guys to come in as well, about lap 27 or so. Uh, which, ironically, was the same lap Verstappen did a 360 in the back of the stadium section, but was able to recover. What a lucky guy. Yeah, yeah. screaming on the radio that they had put him on too hard a compound of the slick tires. He was on the medium. Yeah, he was on the... This is something that Horner would admit to after the race, that they got it wrong on this one. They put him on the medium compound tire and not the soft, so... The, uh, the lack of grip probably did, did him no favours there. But again, no harm, no foul, was able to continue. Um, however, on lap 26, uh, Lando Norris was our next victim, not via the drag strip, but uh, via a car losing power. Oh boy, so, uh, two, re two Renault mechanical failures in the space of just a handful of laps. Shocker. So yeah, Lando was done for the day. 
And he, that was the second virtual safety car. And again, of course, half the field leaped in and switched to dry weather tyres as a result of that. Um, including, you know, Charles Leclerc and Lewis Hamilton, who finally um, had come off the intermediate after being on that same set since the very start. The only exception, again, was Carlos Sainz. Remember that, it becomes important later because he put on a fresh set of inters, obviously copying Charles Leclerc's earlier strategy. Um, now, as Hamilton was leaving the pits, the drag strip of pure judgment claimed its first real victim. And his name was not John Cena, it was Charles Leclerc. Uh, it's like, oh no! 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 Yep, he oh. just... he. Put a tire on the damp part of the track, lost control, and once he was out on the drag strip of poor judgment, there was no saving it. No, he was on soft tires. He didn't have a hope in hell. He, he lost control of his car at 30 kilometers an hour. That's how ill of grip the, um, the, his car had at that point in time. And uh, poor Charles immediately beat himself up in the car um, in, to, to uh, no wit's end. Um, but uh, another big opportunity for Charles Leclerc, and he's uh, put it in the wall and, uh, yeah, beached it in the gravel. His race was done. Full safety car. The second full safety car um, of the day. And to be fair, I can't really hold anyone but Charles to blame for that one, given that he had been taking liberties with that outside curb and that part of the track all race long to that point anyway. Um it's uh it it's it's not it's not great don't worry james i'm getting to that one on this on the discord don't you worry but uh yeah like lewis points out leclerc called the drag strip unacceptable after the race the irony in drivers hating on tarmac runoffs because they don't punish mistakes and then start bitching when one actually does <laughs> he's got a point he's got a point and to be fair i think they're both right in that like yeah it's probably a bit shit that the immediate moment you leave the track, there is a giant puddle outside a corner, which is not going to help. Yeah, I, especially when there's, a, I, especially when the wall is short and there's only like a like maybe twenty feet of gravel separating you and the wall. Yeah, I, the thing is, I don't necessarily think it's the drag strip. I think it's the fact that there's just no drainage up there. Is he's absolutely right? It is a valid complaint, but as Lewis says, you can't have it both ways. You want. Like, okay, are you into BDSM or not in the sense of do you want to see drivers get punished or do you just want to see guys take every liberty they can get? Because this is the same F1 where this is where now, as proven by Austria, you can now run a dude four wheels off with no penalty. Yeah, see? I, just, it, I, I typically watch F1 just for the crashes. People only want it to punish mistakes when it's punishing a driver they don't like. Precisely. Now, poor innocent Charles, who we all love and appreciate, is the victim. And now we all get all mercy kill. It's great. Don't worry. We hit him with a sledgehammer because that was only the second biggest notable crash of that lap. Because they come back, they cut from replay, and oh my god, that's Lewis Hamilton in the drag troop of poor judgment. Lewis Hamilton <laughs> crashed from the lead in almost Not identical fashion. Not on Mercedes 125th race car birthday. No! And, um... 125th birthday of Merck's team and their 200th Grand Prix this weekend. Um, eh, eh. Lewis Hamilton cocks it into the wall. Proof that Lewis Hamilton is actually fuming. Yeah, and if you watch the video back, I believe there's an overhead shot. 
Charles is walking away from the car when Lewis has the twitch, and you see that initial twitch, and you think, oh no. Oh god, yeah, I can, I can only imagine. Oh, like, I think everyone that saw that shot was, like, probably held their breath for a second there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Hamilton gets a twitch on turn 16, goes straight into the drag strip of poor judgments, and next thing you know, he's in the wall, he's lost his entire front wing, has to immediately come into the pits. Remember that. It also becomes important later. And basically, this is the part of the podcast where you can start playing the Benny Hill music over the top because Merckx obviously had no idea this was coming and they didn't know what tires to put Oh, no, Mercedes was, uh, Mercedes was preparing for a pit stop for Valtteri. They had no idea Lewis was coming in until we saw a Mercedes coming in missing many pieces. Yeah, they had, they had to replace the front wing work out which set of tyres to put on, work out that it was Hamilton's set and not Valtteri's to put back on, change the soft tyres, the intermediates weren't ready to go, Hamilton put the Inters back on again. It was a 50.3 second pit stop. Throwing it the back scenes. to the... Uh, the, the throwing scenes. it back to the 1894 pit stop lengths. <laughs> the, the scenes as their mechanics are just having to scramble put away tires, drag new ones out of the garage, and all this other mess. Yeah, because, of course, each driver gets their own allocated sets of tires. You can't swap someone's tires onto the other team car. It's against the regulations. Indeed. Indeed. And to make matters even worse, the way he re-entered the track after the initial accident, he missed the, the bollard to enter into pit lane. Lewis properly. Hamilton Remember? broke the Hamilton rule. Oh! <gasps> Yeah. That's right. Does, does anybody remember last year's race? Bono's 15 ins and Hamilton darted into the pit lane and bait or not darted into the pit lane basically and had come in across the track and re-entering in a dangerous manner and how he wasn't punished for it. Um, I called it poetic justice that uh, there's now a bollard on the edge of the pit lane. You have to cross the inside of the bollard to enter the pits properly. Hamilton did not do that after his accident and was given a five-second time penalty. Whoopsie-doodle. Yeah, that's what happens when you run over the commitment cone. Any NASCAR fan can tell you this. And this, of course, this triggered Mercedes' downfall entirely because Lewis's pit stop, along with damaging his car and binning the car from the lead, also meant that Valtteri Bottas had to stay out extra long while everyone else darted in to change tires. Indeed. Everybody else came back into the pits to put intermediates back on, and we were back racing again on lap 34, basically. So, However... Verstappen has already spun, and he's now back in the lead. And wait a minute, who is this in second? That's a yellow car. But Daniel Ricciardo's already retired. Is that Nico Hulkenberg in Nico, a top three Nico, position? It's Nico friggin' Hulkenberg, who's only stopped once to this point, and it was still running, he changed from one set of intermediates to the other, kept track position, and was now running in second. Like, people were hinting, is this finally going to be the Nico Hulkenberg podium after 140 plus races? Uh, Is this finally going to be the, no, the drag strip of pure judgment. Had, a, had had his own say in the matters because after the restart, 
Hulkenberg puts it in the fence. Oh, for God's sake. Yeah. I, oh. I was just waiting for the other shoe to drop it by the time I realized Hulkenberg was in second because if he didn't drop it, the Mercedes were, were just going to swallow him alive. I believe Bottas had already passed him by that point, if I recall yeah, correctly. He, he was already down to third by the time he'd actually binned it because Bottas had already overtaken him. Um, but even so, Hulkenberg had binned it from third on the grid. Um, or third, a third as of running. He'd be, again, the drag strip claimed it's 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 third victim um, in that case because, uh, yeah, Hulkenberg put it in the fence. And we were offering 25 to 1 odds on Paddy Power that Hulkenberg would get his first career podium. Not today, folks. Remember, folks, when the fun stops, stop. Of course. Uh, but uh, Hulkenberg put it in the wall. Was that another safety car that came out yes, of the Yes, this was, was another safety yeah. car. And all the leaders were making tire changes. Verstappen takes centers. Vettel takes centers. Hamilton takes his five seconds penalty and enters. And you're thinking, well, nothing weird's going to happen. Why is Lance Stroll going out on slicks? Uh, he was the only man in the field who gambled on slick tires. Kevin Magnussen was apparently screaming at Haas, put me on slicks. As was Didn't George Russell at Williams. Yeah, George Russell apparently was begging for it. Team didn't roll the dice on that gamble. Again, remember that. It also becomes important later. Um, but yeah, Stroll was the only man to gamble with 20 laps to go by putting the slick tires on. He was the only man in the field to do it. Again, it ended up coming into to uh, really end up helping him because, uh, yeah, we got racing again. <laughs> at this point, we're thinking, okay... If this race ended right now, it would already be like a solid 9 out of 10 for spectacular shit. Wait, that's a that's a Mercedes going off at the first corner. Oh no, it's Valtteri in the wall! Oh no! <laughs> this isn't even the drag strip of poor judgment! No. It's the turn one of other poor judgments! Yep. Valtteri just put the left rear on the wet, and that was it. Car snapped right into the wall. And this was him in a desperate attempt to try and somehow overtake Lance Stroll for the last spot at the podium at the time. Wait, we've often- glossed it over. During the whole transition period between the tires, Lance Stroll led this race. Lance Stroll and motherfucking Racing Point led this race. They led a lap of the race. Wild. Um, it, it didn't take it long for Max Verstappen to get back to the front of the field again because he was in another league this time round. But, uh, yeah, at this point, Lance Stroll was leading a race. He'd fallen to uh, third behind, uh, um, behind uh, what do you call it now? Um, it was... Uh, Max Verstappen and Daniel Kvyat. Wait, what? Daniel Kvyat is now second. Somehow. For what? all of this. <laughs> and, again, this is after Hamilton himself had spun at turn one as well. He was again. He was able to recover. Valtteri hit the wall. Yeah, because even the racing gods in its worst hour will still find a way to shine on Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, um, don't ask me how. This weekend, Mercedes brought a massive sweeping upgrade to their car, and as Toto said in the post race, it brought them performance at the cost of balance because both Mercs were very snappy. I think he was just still salty. He had to wear those that tie and those suspenders all weekend. Yeah, Mercs had broken out the special throwback uh, uniform gear for the, to celebrate their 125th anniversary of them being in motorsport. So everybody was in old school gear. As Vic points out in the Discord, don't cosplay at work, folks. 
just just saying. they were out here in fancy dress and Ferrari couldn't even get the car to work on Saturday. So so like honestly, after all of that, what was the going rate on Toto Wolf's premium Snapchat? Was there one? <laughs> if it wasn't, I don't think it got much content. Um, Someone made a lot of money. Toki, even though even though Toki on Discord quite rightly points out, this could be deemed as what we call a Jacobellis moment here, folks, for a premature celebration. Um, which is a shame because they had a, a debatably nice livery for the 125th anniversary. Yeah, and, and could you blame us for assuming the Mercedes were going to walk this? I mean, they just brought a massive upgrade package to what was already the consensus best car in the grid, as everybody else behind them continues to trip over their own junk. Yeah, Mercedes yeah. lost balance and still gained performance in this car. Yeah, it's it's a wild time. <laughs> it's a wild time. Bottas puts it in the turn one wall. We get another safety car that leads to what would it, what would actually end up being a five lap dash for the cash. Um, we finally got going again. And wait a minute, who's that man in red from the back of the field? Yeah, we haven't Vettel. said a word about him, but for much of this race and for the most part at the blame of his own team because he was having to write his own strategy. Mm. Sebastian Vettel was pretty quiet for a while. But that's yeah, second half of that race. The the moment the slicks came on, Sebastian Vettel returned. Oh my god. Sebastian he Vettel was... never left, folks. Sebastian S- Vettel never left. Sebastian Vettel at his absolute finest tearing his way through the field. He was the fastest man on track in the, on slicks in the second half of that race. He was ridiculous. And the, the last five-lap sprint finish, um, we really did see it. Vela kept himself. He kept it. He wasn't the fastest on the wet tires, but he didn't make any mistakes. Picked his chances when he could. Um, to get, as Cam points out, had to pick out his own strategy because he was telling Ferrari what to do on the team radio. Yeah, he like, was not getting tire changes until he effectively was saying, I'm coming in, have tires ready. He used the shut right. up Jeff command from F121X. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And, and, and even then, like, on the wet tires, as you said, wasn't the fastest, but sometimes it's better to just... Keep your nose clean and wait for the race to come to you. Very true. And while others um, were putting it in the wall left, right, and center, Vettel was methodically working his way up. Uh, the year Indeed. after his uh, infamous crash in the stadium section that started his downward spiral away from the championship bid. Indeed. And what happens? The first lap of the restart, he pulls off the overtake of the race, pulling off the Joseph Newgarden mid-Ohio move on Carlos Sainz into the turn four hairpin. Beautiful stuff. Yeah, th- um, and thanks to all of the safety car running, Ferrari's piss-poor fuel consumption in the race was no longer a concern, so they just jammed the thing in qualifying mode and said to hell with it. Yeah, they just gave Seb all the power and was like, you know what, go go racing, Seb, basically. And he did. He, 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 he drag-raced. He drag-raced. Signs, Ankafiat, and Stroll. Scotty nominee, yeah. Scotty nominee for 2019. He's going on the list. He gets he gets on the list. Crowd field so, already. Yeah, that was like his his move on Carlos Sainz was a belter. That one was was without DRS assistance, and it was the first lap of the restart. That was big balls driving from Sebastian there. And yeah, he would go on to finish in second. Maybe not the win, but still, if there's ever a drive for redemption out here. 
Second and third, I think we'll talk about it, obviously, very briefly. But uh, second, you know. second from 20th. And when you consider that he was having to write his own strategy, it, all it, it time, all draft. time great. Sebastian Vettel at his absolute finest. I will hear no Vettel slander on this day. No, and I think that was the silencer for a lot of the. To be fair, there there was a, there was a valid case you could make for the man's struggles in the last twelve months. I mean, it's not like but, Sky Sports plastered that crash image on every fucking post for days leading up to the race. No, they didn't do this at all. F one Twitter was uninhabitable up until race day. No, it was it was bad. You know what sums it up? You know, it's better than I ever could. Some of you guys might know Silius Alton, a.k.a. known as the Flying Finn, from part of the F1 eSports series. He is a big-time Lewis Hamilton fan, and he put this out after the race. And I quote, Today's race just shows that it doesn't matter how good you are, one loss of concentration can end up worse than it actually is. Mm -hmm. Yet I did not see Seb go off or spin once today, and his teammate and his rivals, Hamilton, Bottas, and Max, all spun out. Two DNFing in the process, the other going from first to last. Last year's crash for Seb was just magnified worse than it actually was because of the title battle, and I'm so glad it can finally be put to bed now. And it was unnecessarily brought up too many times. And can we put it to rest the rumors? Can we put to rest the rumors that Sebastian Vettel is washed up? He's going to be done after the end of the season? No. Uh, no. no. Sebastian Vettel ain't done. Not yet. No. The second half of that race was Michael Schumacher-esque. It was a magnificent performance. And him. ironically, he was wearing the Bern Schneider helmet. Yeah. It really was. It was, a, it, was, a, it, was a, it was a nice tribute. We've barely talked about it, but Max Verstappen would go on to win a 104-minute Grand Prix in the end with five pit stops in the process and got fastest laps at 26 points. We should talk about one of those pit stops. We should because it's worth mentioning as well, in the middle of that race... Red Bull broke their own new world record for fastest pit stop. 1.88! It's like... It, it, it was... It, go watch it. It's it's on all over social media. It is a thing of beauty. What the can Red you Bull do proof. in 1.8 seconds? I can't change four um, tires on a Formula One car. Hope? Um, m- mostly it involves intimacy and then crying afterwards. For, <laughs> for about 1.88 seconds. Um... <laughs> But uh, a, a magnificent job from the Red Bull crew. And in wet conditions and with heavier tyres than ever before, that is astonishing. Like I, I said it to these guys on the pre-show before we started recording this, that I could pair it. If anyone ever knows, them, some of you guys will get what I'm trying to say as a reference here. If anyone's ever watched people try to speedrun the original Super Mario Brothers and seeing like tenths of a second get shaved off the world record and people talking to the point where this speed run is now so heavily optimized that like i think that they got to like the point where it's like four minutes 55 now for like to run through the entire original super mario brothers now and it's getting to the point where they're saying there is no more optimizing that can be done it's now literally getting down to the thousandths of a second of human error. And that's what this feels like. I never thought someone would go under 1.9 seconds. That's absolutely ludicrous. I'm watching that now and I'm thinking, is it humanly possible to even go any faster than that? Yeah, and this is... It's worth noting, this is the second time they've broken the world record in as many races. It's crazy. It's, 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 the, it's the second time in a fortnight. It is absolutely bonkers stuff well done red bull team 
on that one. Um, again, five pit stops, all of them perfect. And that was a big difference maker in the end. We didn't talk about Max much because he just kept it, besides the spin, kept his nose dry, was ludicrously fast, mastered the wet conditions perfectly. A magnificent drive from Max Verstappen, who's now won two of the last three and has now gone 20 straight races with a top five finish. Um, Verstappen is here, everybody. Yeah. Like, he is the second coming. As it turns like, out, he, he is the new Rainmeister of F1. And as it turns out, Honda are for real. Which brings yeah, us to our next finisher. Well, I'll get to that briefly, but if anyone saw Honda Racing's tweet of, that's our GP's second victory of the season. <laughs> There's no way that was a typo like they claimed afterwards. There's no way. Outstanding. Oh, just own that one, man. That was beautiful. Outstanding. In fact, at Fernando Alonso in the tweet. Oh, please. Like, if, like it's, it's clear that uh, Alonso's comments of the Honda team was uh, stuck true over the last couple of years. But uh, congratulations to Honda. We, we we didn't even talk about it very much, given the crazy nature of Verstappen's last victory. But that last one in Austria was their first win in 13 years, and now they've got two out of the last three. Well done, Honda. Great to see him back at the top. Speaking of which, the man who finished in third. And again, we talk about redemption on this show a lot. If, is there a greater redemption story than Daniil Kvyat in third place? New father, what, Daniel Kvyat. New, only the second wildest day of his weekend because he became a dad on Saturday night. Um, his uh, his beloved Mrs. Kenny PK gave birth to a lovely baby girl. Congratulations to the family. That's wonderful. Apparently, Kvyat was on the first flight home <laughs> after after that one to see his new baby girl, which is the sweetest news. So, congratulations, Daniil, and what a magnificent drive that was from Danny K. Who, I mean, he's been one of the most prolific, high-profile stories of of F1 and driver development and youth products over the last three or four years and we all know the story about how he was pushed out of the uh, out of the senior team and how we thought his career was 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 as good as over it, in f1 at one point it's a question of how many times can you get fired for a while for with him yeah. and, and not for a lack of talent he's always had the talent and he proved it once again he came from 14th on the grid to finish in third again this was a man who who was who had just no confidence left by the time he was dropped from Toro Rosso the last time. And when they brought him back, you're thinking, why would he come back for this? Why would he come back just to be the stopgap option for some other Red Bull prospect? Daniel we Kvyat's thought, we, no... We thought, had, we, we thought he had Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> Daniel Kvyat is no stopgap. Danny Kvyat is no scrub. Danny Kvyat is for real. And he's still 25 years old. He's got time at his side. He's more mature now than he was in his last go-round in F1. And he wants he that Red Bull drive chance. back. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That man can drive a race car. Uh, a magnificent performance. And Kivya, he's, uh, he's under the radar, driven very well this season, even yeah, before he, this weekend. In this year, he's had a couple of results taken away from him from incidents that have not been his fault. Indeed. Um, which doesn't help the talk regarding the guy in the, in the seat he's trying to get. More on him very shortly. Ooh. Um. A quick rundown of the results, and we'll stop along the way for some fun stuff. As mentioned, Max Verstappen winning by 7.3 seconds over Sebastian Vettel, who gained 18 places to finish in second. Magnificent drive from the German. Daniel Kvyat in third. 
But Sora Rossa. And he almost again, got second at the end, too, because Vettel had to wait yeah. until the last lap to make his one error of the race, but he still just barely hauled on for that second. Yep, Kvyat didn't go for it. Probably a wise decision on that one. Take the podium. Well, you mean Sebastian? Get out of Dodge. You mean Sebastian rejoined the track in front of someone and didn't get a time penalty? Hmm. Hmm. Don't go there. It still hurts. Um. <clears throat> then Kvyat, as mentioned, in third. Congratulations to him and Kelly and the family. That's a uh, delightful news. What a weekend he had. Like, I love the endearingness of Natalie Pinkham just giving him a massive cuddle after the interview because she had no idea that it, uh, that uh, he became a dad. And, and not only that, sweet. talking after the race in the the post race interview, a couple of drivers, I'd say Vettel and uh, Vettel Kvyat, just to name two. Mm. <laughs> they look like deer in the headlights after that race. I <laughs> couldn't believe it, could they? Oh, and Vic points out as well on Discord, a very good point as well. Jensen Button became a dad this week as well. Um, him and his partner, Brittany, who gave birth to a lovely baby boy as well. So congrats to the Button family as well. If anyone sees the really cute and charming Honda video they made saying congratulations to JB and the family, it's it's the most adorable thing. Honda really does look after their own. It's actually really endearing and... Uh, Everyone's like Jensen San, congratulations! It was it, it was it was the cutest thing. So congrats to uh, Danny K and Jensen Button for uh, becoming dads this week. It's been a very broody weekend. And again, I'm hearing rumours that Seb's Mrs. Hannah is due a third as well. So who knows? We'll never know because Seb keeps these things so quiet. But uh, I'm hear- uh, uh, that, hearing that was a paddock talk that uh, Sebastian's uh, now wife Hannah uh, now Hannah apparently is due for a third as well. So. God, it's been it's been a very uh, broody and weekend. And Channel we Four say. can shut the fuck up about it. Yes, yeah, yeah. Somewhere like like, like Mark Webber can kiss my ass, quite frankly. Um, moving on. Mediocre washed Australian. Um, <clears throat> in fourth place, Lot Stroll for Racing Point, their best result of the year. That's a magnificent comeback for Lot Stroll. You had a Again, terrible race up to this point. The car had no yeah. pace in the rain. They got the strategy wrong a couple times, but the last stop, they got the strategy so right, and he kept it up near the front. And you could tell Sergio was disappointed that he couldn't be the benefactor of that, but I'll tell you this. I've said it many times before, Lance Stroll has much more talent and much more potential that a lot of y'all people give him credit for. It's a matter of harnessing it. He still has a qualifying game, but nobody is better at turning around terrible starting positions and t- salvaging his points out of it than Lance Stroll is. It's as I said before, death, taxes, Stroll plus two, three, four, five on the opening lap. Yeah. Indeed. He's the he's the best starter in the sport. Came through on the slip tires excellently. And also raised £11,000 for, for breast cancer care in the UK because Sport Pezza had donated £1,000 for every position gained Excellent. for Lance Stroll this weekend. So hey. Lance Stroll kicking ass and raising money for breast cancer. That, that's awesome. Way to go, Lance Stroll. Brilliant job in fourth. Carlos Sainz, who was somehow disappointed with fifth place for McLaren. That's the season this man is having. Survivor. Fifth is- Survivor of the drag strip of poor judgment. Carlos Sainz. Came back to finish in fifth. In fifth, yeah, the only, like one of the few men who survived the uh, drag trip of poor judgment lived to tell the tale and finished in fifth place. And he was disappointed after the race that it wasn't a podium. Um, that's the season Carlos Sainz is having. And again, best of the rest once again. 
Um, well, not really this time around due to the freak nature of the podium and the man in fourth, but he'll take fifth place. Great drive again from Carlos Sainz, a brilliant recovery. Alex Albon, we've barely even mentioned him. In sixth in the other Toro Rosso. Yeah, he, like, he, started, he started 16th and came back to 6th. It got a little dicey at the end when he uh, um, got a shot from behind but from Eric Gasly on the last lap, but that's still a good result. Yeah. It's a brilliant result. I think that's Toro Rosso's best ever team result. Uh, yeah, um, and it's, we didn't mention it with Gafia. He's only the second person mm. to ever podium a Toro Rosso. The first one... He won four world titles. The man in front, the man directly in front of him. Uh, their first podium finish since that race, Italy two over a decade, nearly eleven years ago. Alex Albon was brilliant was. all day long, and you almost get the feeling like sits place. He could have, should have, would have had more. Yeah, and let's not forget, this was his first ever F1 race in the wet. Um, and he drove brilliantly. Um, great job from Alex Albon in six. Uh, we're not going to talk about it as much for obvious reasons, given his teammate was on the podium. And that's a brilliant drive from Alex Albon in the circumstances. Wait, the, these um, these next two, it says Haas, but there's tons of white out here. Um, there has been an amendment to the, uh, the results. Yeah, as you've mentioned... We, we, we mentioned keeping Alfa Romeo in your thoughts for later on. They originally finished 7th and 8th. However, both drivers were given a 30-second time penalty after the, after the flag because they were given the, the use of driver aids at the start. During the formation laps we had before the race started, they were, I think, Cam, they were told clutch settings um, it was, during the uh, formation I, be, I believe it was something along those lines, and also their clutches, I believe, acted in a way that is not in, uh, in agreement with the Formula One sporting and technical regulations. Yeah, you can't give your driver help anymore. That's that we saw that when Nico Rosberg was given that 10 second time penalty in Silverstone a few years ago. Um, they banned quote unquote driver aids. Um, Actually, I'm gonna bring up the article right now because I want to check it. Well, you're doing yeah. that. Romain Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen, despite having very different development patterns on their cars and despite getting into each other again, managed to put both cars in the points and originally went from ninth and tenth to seventh and eighth. All right, so I they found it. housed 10 points out of this. Yeah, go on, go on. Come. Yeah, the stewards found that the torque in the clutch at the start did not match the torque demand as the driver released the clutch within the specified 70 millisecond maximum period. This effectively gave them a false start. Right. So they, it, it, they effectively got a regulated jump start out of whatever happened with their clutches. Which I'm guessing they just measured what a drive-through penalty would yeah. roughly be and then slapped it on at the end, basically. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, and they are appealing this, yeah. but it's pretty... It's black and white. Yeah. yeah, that, that, that's, yeah that, that's a technical penalty. That's a slam-dunk penalty yeah. every time. As opposed to black um, and gold, ha, 7th and 8th, despite running into each other again. Yeah. They banged wheels at the hairpin, and I love that both drivers on the team radio, one, immediately blamed the other, which I think is hilarious, and two, they bitches said, I can't trust to, I can't trust racing with this guy. Oh dear. And uh, Steiner has also said after the fact that we're probably going to use team orders from this point forward, because they're not getting the message. Yeah, basically. It's the, he admitted after the race, we basically shithoused this. Yeah. Basically. And again, um, Grosjean with the Australia spec car 
beat Magnuson with a newly updated Haas. What the hell, uh, Haas? What is going on in your team? Again, just Seriously. reload your career mode save and just redo the development tree all over again. It works every time. So if the Alphas are gone and the Haases are 7th and 8th, who's picking up the rest of the points? Lewis Hamilton somehow, despite a 50-second pit stop, two crashes, still finishes in ninth. Only 19 seconds off the wing because the safety cars effectively spared his blushes. Finishing in ninth in the end, shithousing his way. Because even when the racing gods are cruel, they are still somehow kind to Lewis Hamilton. And wait a minute. Holy That's shit! Robert Kibitz oh has God, scored a yes. point! Robert Kubitz has scored a point! Somewhere, supporter ass. Jason is screaming. <laughs> Robert Kubica has a point for the first time in nearly nine years. <laughs> Longest gap, has a point. if I'm not mistaken, between point scoring finishes. <laughs> Today's a good day. Oh, like say what you will about his performance since the comeback. I don't care what you tell me. If you don't have a shred of empathy for what that man's had to come through to even get to this point. To score a point is nothing short of a miracle. Congratulations, Robert Kubica. That is a truly wonderful moment for one of the sport's true fighters uh, to even get to this point. Um, It's wonderful. And it is worth noting, after the fact, mentioned earlier, Russell was furious with the team. George Russell will have his chances, good health and opportunities willing. He has the potential to be a race winner and a future world champion. Robert Kubica probably has single-digit races left in his comeback. He will will cherish this for all it's worth. Let him have this. So will I. Like, I was going to say, guys, let him have this one. Like, just let him have this one. I know George Russell is an A-plus talent. George Russell, I hope and pray, will get better opportunities than the one he's got in front of him. And yes, uh, an updated Williams. kicked his ass from pillar to post yeah. all season long. Yeah, yeah. an updated Williams where the updates were quite literally falling off the car after they were put on. Yeah, it's it's been a rough time for Williams to do this, but, you know, a point is so precious right now. And, yeah, Williams 10th and 11th, Robert Kubica in 10th, George Russell in 11th. A point for Williams, a point for Robert Kubica, nearly nine years after his last the Derby only, 2010. Yes, and they're still the only team that's gotten both cars home to the finish every single round. Don't ever say that reliability doesn't matter. Well, on, on, on days like this, reliability will always Reliability come back to play and keeping your nose clean. Because they yeah. both said that car was hellacious to drive. Oh, yeah. I cannot even begin to imagine how shit that must have been. Um, as mentioned, Raikkonen and Giovinazzi, 12th and 13th after their penalties. Again, it was a 30-second time penalty. They equivalent, the, they rated it the same as a 10-second stop-and-go penalty, which in their eyes was 30 seconds, the maximum time penalty they can add on. So, yeah, 12th and 13th, as Cam mentioned, they are appealing this, so who knows? We could see the result altered later. I doubt it. Because Big again, doubt. It's a technical breach. Slam dunk technical it's a, it's a, breach. Slam dunk penalty as far as I'm concerned. Pierre Gasly. Now, he was technically deemed a finisher because he did complete 90% race distance. However, free oh. from the end, coming out of the hairpin in a fight with Alex Albon, he literally drives into the rear of Alex Albon's car and puts himself out of what would have been 
sixth place, most likely. For someone who oh. consensus in the paddock is he's probably driving for his job, to not only get steamrolled by Verstappen winning the race in the same car, but then to drive into the back of the junior team car, oh, damn. I've got good. nothing, man. I've got nothing because, again, this is a guy who, Formula Renault champion, Formula 3.5 runner-up. We know Gasly's better than this. Formula 2 runner-up, Formula 2 champion in his second full season, Super Formula runner-up as a rookie, put a Toro Rosso fourth last year. Now he can't do anything at a Red Bull. I don't get it. And and to be fair, Albon threw a a, a hell of a block on him. Albon was not it blameless. No, it was an aggressive block. It was an I'll aggressive block, much. but Gasly also could have lifted. And the bottom line that was he was it. struggling with the car all race long. Yeah, while Verstappen was just rolling over everyone once the Mercs got caught up in traffic, Gasly was barely keeping pace with the midfield. Yeah, Gasly was struggling to get heat into his tyres all race long, and as mentioned, it's another round where Verstappen has absolutely kicked his ass from pillar to post in race trim, and he now resides 107 points behind his teammate. It's getting to the point where Pierre Gasly's position in that team is becoming almost undefendable, and that sucks. And this is, know he's better and of this. course, this is again at the same race where someone who was dropped from Red Bull for supposedly underperforming—he really wasn't—gets a podium in the yeah. junior car. It is a bad freaking look to be beaten by both juniors and then driving into one of them who's already in front of you. And, and, and as, as Lewis as just Lewis said, points out. Yeah, yeah. Over, yeah. Over Gasly is costing Red Bull second in the constructors right now. With the with the state of Ferrari being so poor in race conditions, Red Bull had the second quickest car on Sunday, and Gasly simply cannot exploit it. Yeah, they're right for the taking right now, and and like. Verstappen is single-handedly keeping Red Bull in that fight for second. Gasly needs to perform. It could cost the team money, the way this is going. Um, As mentioned, Gasly was the last of the finishes in 14th place, technically. 60 NFs, Valtteri, turn one. Uh, Nico Hülkenberg, direction for poor judgment, as was Charles Leclerc. Lando Norris had power loss on lap 25. Daniel Ricciardo's exhaust had failed. And Checo spun it on the on the outside of lap on, on turn eleven on the second lap of the race. Championship standings after that ridiculous German Grand Prix. Lewis Hamilton. That's I think is the lowest performance he's had while crossing a race finish line. I think since Spain 2015. Yeah, 2013. And, and, yeah, and until yeah, and 2013. before the uh, the decision on the alphas, it would have been their first time not scoring points with both cars since Spain 2013. This is Bonkers This stuff. is the worst Mercedes finishing position of the hybrid era. And he still extended the championship lead over his teammate. He now has a 41-point lead on Valtteri Bottas, who, as we mentioned, did not see the checkered flag. Even when Hamilton is shit, he finds a way to grind the championship lead up. Because, of course. Um, Yeah, 41-point lead on Valtteri Bottas. Now, Verstappen, now only 22 behind Valtteri with that win on 162. Sebastian putting some distance between him and his teammate now as well. His second puts him on 141 ahead of Charles Leclerc on 120. Pierre Gasly is only seven points ahead of Formula 1.5 leader Carlos Sainz Jr. He's he's dipping into the F1.25s at this point, Carlos. 
he oof, Carlos is driving so so well. That's his fourth straight finish in the top eight. Six out of the last seven. That's how well Carlos is it's driving. It's also right worth now. noting. McLaren have more points at this stage in the season than they did last year at all. Crazy stuff. That, that team has come a long way, even with the Lando Norris failure. Carlos leads the 1.5 category with a massive lead now on Danny Kvyat, who's jumped all the way up to 8th place with 27 points, ahead of Kimi Raikkonen's 25. Um, Lando Norris is 22, and Daniel Ricciardo also has 22 points. Ahead of Lance Stroll, who's now jumped all the way up to 12th place, now with 18 points, ahead of Kevin Magnussen on countback. Hulkenberg drops to 14th as well on 17 points. It's a very different looking constructors as well. Merckx still has the lead, 148 points now. They're on 409 to Ferrari's 261. They are only 44 ahead of Red Bull. Puts Pierre Gasly's poor season in, into context. If they got a bit more out of Gasly, they're probably second right now. Red Bull in third on 217. McLaren have 70 points as a team so far. They are 28 ahead of Toro Rosso, who has jumped all the way up from ninth to fifth on 42 Huge points. result. Between those Ooh. two, huge result for them and the constructors. Yeah, because the bottom half of the table is very, very close. So that was a massive weekend for Toro Rosso. They're now in fifth place on 42 points. Renault with another double DNF. Um, they are down to 6th now on 39. Racing Point, another big weekend with uh, Lance Stroll's 12 points there. And that was the first time they've scored points since Canada, believe it or not. Stroll also scoring on that day. Yeah, um, um, he's, they're now 7th they're now on 31 points. Haas are ahead of Alfa Romeo, who dropped to 9th. Haas ahead on countback. They've had a 6th, remember that 6th place. That, uh, that Magnussen had was a, a big boy result for them. That now breaks the tie over Sauber on 26 points each. And of course, Williams are still bottom, but who cares? They have a point. Ladies and gentlemen, the whole field is off the Thank mark. God. It only took us 11 races to get there. But uh... Another thing to note with that racing point, they brought effectively the back half of the car was completely new. Rumors are the front half of the car is getting the upgrade, too. So keep an eye on them as a team in the future. Dre, what do you rate this yes. race? Are you fucking kidding me out of are 10? Are you fucking <laughs> kidding me out of 10? Are you fucking kidding me out of 10? It's consensus. This this is a race of the decade. Contender. Race of the millennium. This, this is the dream Canada 2011 without the two-hour rain delay in the middle. This was about as crazy an F1 race can get. Like, I don't normally go beyond maybe an eight unless you get some element of chaos. This was the element of chaos times by a hundred. This, this is one of those races we are going to be watching again and again and again. This is one of those races that will be talked about 30 years from now is one of those all-time classics. This is one of those yeah. races where sitting through all the dull processional, like the Chinas, the Spains, and the <laughs> Frances and all that. This makes it worth it. That's why you sit through all this. Yeah. This is why we sit through the shit. It reminds me of an old joke that our Murray, the pub landlord, used to make where he was talking about how a kid who buys his first beer 
at the age of 18, sits down, he builds himself up for it, he takes his first sip, he realises that most beer is trash, and he then he will spend the rest of his life trying to find a good one. That's Germany 2019. That's the good one right there. And if anything, we've been spoilt because since France we've had three great races in a row, topped off with a race of the decade contender in Germany 2019. This is one that's up there with Hungary 2015, Bahrain 2014, Canada oh, no. 2011, it, it, of Brazil 2012. Era, of the hybrid era, Bahrain 2014 can get in the bin. This is the best. Yeah, this is probably the greatest race of the hybrid era, at least, like, of the last five years. Like, this is a very special race. Please go out of your way to see this. Um, it was a magnificent race, and one that we are going to be talking about for years and years to come. Whew. And that took up an idiot hour of this podcast to get through it. Worth it. God bless us all. Worth it. Don't even care. Off this musical break... We're going to talk about, somehow, the third wildest race of the weekend. Don't ask me how. It's the 42nd run-in of the Suzuka 8 Hours. Right after this. So, somehow... (laughs) Suzuka was like the backseat driver in this ridiculous weekend of motorsport. We call it the all-star game of bike races because that's effectively what the Suzuka 8 Hours is. It gets more and more prestigious every year. It gets more and more... (coughs) Pardon me. It gets more and more wild every year. And uh, this year was no exception. I mean, where do we even start with Suzuka? Because this was... This was a crazy race. And... the 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 amazing thing was it was it was incredibly competitive between three main factory runners for pretty much the entire eight hours. This was to to show what kind of commitment the three big Japanese manufacturers of motorcycles really throw at this race. We had three absolute all time lineups on three as heavily developed as they can be super bikes. That's right. Red Bull Honda were the dominant force in testing. They brought Takumi Takahashi, the points leader in the Japanese Superbike Championship, Stefan Brodel, a veteran of multiple F1, more MotoGP seasons, and Ryuchi Kiyonari, a legend in Superbike racing both in Japan and abroad. Yeah, three-time British Superbike champion Ryuichi Kiyonari as well. That was the Honda lineup. Kawasaki had basically thought, fuck it, what's the best team we can possibly assemble? I know, let's bring all three of our superbike riders right now in Jonathan Ray, arguably the greatest superbike rider of all time, Leon Haslam, last year's British superbike champion, an all-round swell guy, and top prac Razgatioglu, who probably will be on the Kawasaki Racing team in the near future. And both these teams had to bring them to try and topple the Yamaha lineup of Katsuyuki Nakasuka, Albert Slows, and Michael Vandermark, who were going for an unprecedented fifth win in a row in this event, and for Nakasuka and Vandermark, a share of the all-time record in this race held by Toru Okawa, the only five-time winner in the history of the event, who, by the way, was managing the Red Bull Honda team. Yeah. Of course. They don't call it the Yamaha Dream Team for nothing. And yeah, these three teams went to war virtually for like seven hours and 50 minutes. That's like, 
they were back and forths. There was lead changes. The, like, I, I, people don't want to boil the eight hours down into what was basically a series of like fifty-minute sprints on around a very high difficulty, very dangerous Suzuka circuit. But this is effectively what this race was. Like, to put it into perspective, Kawasaki did not use top rack at all. They were, they knew they were in a war pretty much from the start. And as a result, they only ran Haslam and Jonathan Ray. They're two more experienced oh, guys who have been poor here Kawasaki. Before. They're stuck with... Jonathan Ray has to take up the load. Yeah, poor them. Yeah. They only have to bring in... They only have to use the reigning world superbike champion and the reigning British superbike champion. How will they what ever manage? What a terrible, terrible shame. Well, no, and Honda was in the same camp. They did not use Rianichi Kiyonari for yeah, the Yeah, and that becomes hours. important when you look at Takashi qualifying Marvel. when... Kio was very far off the pace of his two teammates. Compared to Takahashi and uh, Brattle, 1.7 seconds. Again, this is a man who's won multiple championships. He's been out of sorts in the last few years. They basically put him on the bench for the race because he wasn't getting the most out of his bike. Yeah, and and he effectively cost them pole because that lap put them well behind when... Takahashi was ridiculously quick. Super fast. He was probably the MVP of the race. Takahashi was stunning on that on that Honda. Let's again, let's put it into perspective here. We probably know for the fact this is probably the last swan song for what we know is the current. It's an eleven year old bike, fundamentally. Yeah, it's an open secret. Avara Bautista pretty much revealed it last week. It's an open secret. There's a new Fireblade coming next year. Yeah, the the Panigale V4. The Panigale V4 in the Superbike world. We haven't seen it yet, but there is a wave of some crazy shit coming. Yeah, Yamaha revealed, revealed their brand new R1 and R1M last week. Honda's now pretty much made this an open secret that basically there's going to be a new Fireblade next year. This was basically the final swan song for the Fireblade as we know it. And Takahashi was stunning. As Lewis points out, he pretty much stole Haslam's lunch money. Now, to be fair, Haslam was riding hurts. He did actually break two bones in his wrist at Laguna Seca last week during their World Superbike round when he crashed into the corkscrew. Haslam was riding hurt pretty much the entire way through. But we are talking about a man who last year... Raced for five and a half hours of this race. There is no, there is no um, minimum runtime rule um, in this race. So, like we saw it last year, Haslam raced for five and a half out of the eight hours. He's ridiculous. <laughs> he, he he is an Iron Man. And again, because they couldn't run Kianari, Takahashi had to splash and dash and then double stint at the end, and he just had nothing left in the tank. We've run um, sits. For- all Japan Superbike 1000 races. Takahashi's won the last four, and he leads the championship by 24 points as of this recording. He's pretty good at this. He's ridiculously good at this. He's. They're talking about him getting a MotoGP wildcard later this year. Please, Honda, please do it. Yeah, the man's stupidly fast, basically. Like I said, for me, the MVP of the race, and... This is a race where Jonathan Ray rode out of his skin for Kawasaki to, to if, even get the If I'd have play. to pick two riders of the race, it has to be like Ray and Takahashi were beating the shit out of each other all race. Yeah, it, that's what this race effectively boiled down to. Jonathan, like Leon admitted after the race, it was Jonathan that even gave them a sniff of winning this. He rode 
like the usual, probably greatest superbike rider we've ever seen, good. That's how good Jonathan Ray is. And again, like, watching the race, and if you watched it on Eurosport, my God, how nice is it to have Julian Ryder and Neil Spaulders back in a commentary box. How nice of it to be available to watch in the United States. Yes, it's through the Motor Trend On Demand service, and that's Motor Trend On Demand, uh, but you can still watch it via legal means. Nice! And like I said, we had we were split with Eurosport's coverage. They had a rotating booth there of, uh, of Julian Ryder, Neil Spaulders, and Jack Burnicle, and it was awesome. Yeah, and they, they were brilliant. Julian Ryder is the best. He really is the best bike commentator ever. I don't care what anyone says to me. Knight that man. He's he, he's brilliant. Um, and yeah, it's it, it was those two that really shined more than anything else. Takahashi had to splash and dash the last stint. He was double stinting the last run. Ray came out from his last pit stop about four seconds behind after it all shook up. And Ray caught him and passed him and would go on to dot, 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 win. Uh, oh, okay. boy. Well, um, well, let's just say the last ten minutes of this race was almost as chaotic as Formula oh, and yeah. and, um, and in the words of Rick Allen... Championship implications. Yes, because while this is the all-star of bike racing, this is part of an endurance world championship where there are full-time teams running just this championship who have a championship to fight for. And it looked like Suzuki's endurance racing team were gonna win the title. Until their engine blew their engine blows up with five minutes to go. Another Toyota 2016 special. Oh, Lord. Like, Suzuki were set to win the Endurance World Championship. They are the full-time... They are the best of the full-time teams this year. And they had a blowout with five minutes left. The full Toyota 2016 meltdown. But it gets worse. Now, to put it into perspective, it gets dark at Suzuka during the final hour. The headlights come on. You get the beautiful scenes in the background of the glow sticks in the grandstand at Suzuka. It's... It's awe-inspiring. One of, one of my favorite scenes in all of motorsport. It's 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 wonderful. Um, yeah, it, it gets dark during the final hour. The headlights come on. It starts to rain with 25 minutes to go. At Suzuka, um, so on bikes. In the dark, with 65 bikes on track. Um, <laughs> yeah, this was carnage. It, everybody was basically tiptoeing around at this point. Takahashi was in so much in bring-it-home mode, he actually briefly dropped to third um, behind the Yamaha team um, going into the okay, what was two or three minutes to go. Now, <clears throat> on lap 218 for the leaders, 216 for the leaders, I should say, um, that Suzuki that blew up I don't think the rider realized the bike had blown up because he was still spilling oil and fluid onto the track in Sector 1 as he was experiencing his failure. The track was already slippery. It just became super dangerous out there. And who goes down? Now, I am watching this at, now, I am watching this at work at the time, and I am screaming, Call it! Call it! Please! Like, this, like, this is... Yeah, this is sector one of Suzuka on motorcycles. This track is already barely safe enough to run just this race. MotoGP has not come back since we lost Daijiro Kato. And that was what, 2003? 2003. Uh, 2003, yeah, and, and, and that's the more cynical part of this. The Suzuki guy probably knew 
that this bike had failed and didn't pull off the racing line. Now, the more cynically minded amongst you, you can make a case that maybe he knew the red flag would come if he kept it on track and if on the countback rule, they could still win the championship. I don't want to say that's what he was thinking, but it's too big a coincidence to ignore yeah. that there's a possibility that this was a last desperation play to end the race and win the championship. You be the judge. We've had more desperate attempts to end a championship at Suzuka, in fact. To say the least. So, uh, again, you be the judge at home, because at best it was friggin' incompetence to keep riding on track when you know the bike has failed. And you know is spewing liquid onto it already. Oh my goodness, it's happened immediately. At worst, it's incompetent. Or at best, it's incompetence. At worst, it's... I'm not going to say malicious, but Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, it's potentially I'm trying to win the championship. By any means necessary. By any means necessary. And, well, it had implications because... Two minutes later, Jonathan Ray goes through that first sector and immediately crashes. Um, this is Jonathan Ray we're talking about. E- you know, the greatest. There was, lit- there was literally 90 seconds of race left when he binned it. <laughs> we, it was at 7.58 and I think about 25 seconds when he bins it and everyone is in shock. Jonathan Ray does not drop bikes. I know he dropped it last year in this event, but he doesn't drop his bikes, especially with the championship and a big race on the line. Not in clutch most moments. Of the time. In clutch moments, Jonathan Ray yeah. is your man. Fate of the universe on the line. I want Jonathan Ray to take the shot over Steph Curry. I've downs. Quite down, yeah. Skip. And 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 down he goes with 90 seconds. This was effectively the final lap of the race because they were under two minutes when they crashed, and they were tiptoeing round. It's a it's a two minute ten lap at full racing speed. The race was effectively over if Jonathan Ray could see the checkers one more time, and he goes down, and then the red flag comes out. So now it's pandemonium in the pit lane. Kawasaki thinks they've immediately won because of the countback rule because you go back to the last full racing lap traditionally in races. But then Yamaha starts to clock in their garage thinking, wait, it's the Mahias rule situation all over again. The red flag comes Not out. This and they're counting again. down the clock thinking, if Jonathan can't get the bike back to the pit lane in five minutes... They are disqualified from the result in the Yamaha inheritance. For an explanation of the Mahias rule, please listen back to episode 201 of Motorsport 101, where you can listen to it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm not explaining this for the third time, but long story short, if there is a red flag, you have to bring your bike back to the pit lane within five minutes of the race being declared dead. Otherwise, you are disqualified from the results. We saw it at Donington Park in the sprint race in World Superbikes when Tom Sykes crashed on an oil spill after the red flag, couldn't get his bike back to the pit lane, and was subsequently disqualified from the sprint race, costing him what would have been a second place. Does this... However, does this not seem like a really stupid rule by this point? Yeah, it does. Oh god, it's an, 
Like, this rule should have been dead and buried the moment Lucas Mahias had his result overturned in the original Mahias ruling back in World Supersport a year ago. Because remember, he appealed it and took it to the Court of Arbitration for Sports, and they overturned it. Um, this rule should have been dead and buried. It's still a thing. Um, so Yamaha, I've counted down the clock have realised Ray isn't coming back in five minutes, and they get out the t-shirts and champagne. They're declared the race winners. <laughs> the Yamaha have won their fifth straight Suzuka eight hours. Podium, celebrations, reefs, t-shirts. Dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. The riders knew something was up. Like, Alex Lowe's openly admitted he didn't want to win that way. Michael Van der Mark was like, I, he didn't want to win that way. There was rumblings about this in the pit lane, Kawasaki, an hour later, protest the result. Now, this was so late, to put it into context, Jonathan and Leon had already left the track, were on the way back towards the hotel, they had said their goodbyes to the crew, and were halfway through dinner <laughs> when they, they found out that Kawasaki had protested the results, had filed a protest to the steward saying, wait, we've looked at the rule book. The Mahias rule isn't in here. <laughs> Can't enforce the rule that don't exist. Turns out, Kawasaki was right. The Mahias rule is not in the Endurance World Championship regulations. Brackets. Wait to see how quick that loophole gets closed up. Um, like, not just, every motorsport regulation series is born equal. Just fucking kill this rule already. The Mahias rule is not in the Endurance World Championship. Um, and as a result, the stewards amend the result. They go back to the end of lap 216. Kawasaki are reinstated as winners of the Suzuka 8 Hours. You remember when oh, I mentioned I that I woke up to all of this going down and thinking this was going to be the wildest shit that was going to happen all day? Because for a while, this set a pretty damn high bar. Yeah, the, the biggest production-based motorcycle race in the world. And all this shit was going on. It's It actually kind of made me feel sad a little bit when Kawasaki was reinstated. This is by no means a shot at anybody involved. The riders in the... The seven riders that contested this win were magnificent. Every single one of them. Cats... Matt Vandermark, Lowe's, Haslam, Ray, Takahashi and Bradle all played their part in one of the best bike races we'll ever see. It was a magnificent spectacle, a magnificent advert for bike racing, dot, 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 until the finish. If I come and back, if I come to this track in about three to four weeks' time, announcement, I'm going to be at the Suka 10 hours in person. If I come to that race woo! and this shit happens, I'm going I'm to lose my mind. I can't know... Can't take it anymore. It 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 was it was a it, the broadcast went off and it felt kind of somber because my gut was telling me Kawasaki was robbed, and it's never nice when you have that sinking feeling in your stomach that somebody got robbed of a result. It, it's never nice. Yeah. And then it's, it, now I feel bad for Yamaha, and it's not Yamaha's fault at all. They celebrated. They they thought they had won. And they had every reason to think they had won because a lot of us had the correct assumption that most biking regulations are the same. And 
Kawasaki, again, did everything right. They were well within the, their rights to protest this This is why it's important um, to well, read the damn rule book. Indeed. And, yeah, it's, 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 it's a shame that the race had to end that way. And I completely agree with one Lewis's take in the Discord who says, I still maintain that my highest rule should never have even come into play. The red flag should have been brought out as soon as the SRT Suzuki blew up. End of story. I completely, 110% agree with Lewis. The moment that engine blew up, they should have called it. Yeah. Right there and then. There was no point in continuing not on, that race at that and point. And not on this track. Not on this track. Too dangerous. You have you still had 62 bikes circulating at that point in time yeah. in a dark, wet Suzuka. Not here. I know some... I know some people have played devil's advocate saying that only one man binned it. That's besides the point. One is one too many. As at far this as track, concerned. if you bin it, it's, there's enough corners here. If you bin it, there's a real question as to if you're going to walk away. You can't take that risk. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how many of you remember how bad Casey Stoner's crash here was a couple of years ago. Oh, when his throttle stuck. On the inside of the hairpin. His throttle got still was jammed at fifty percent throttle, and he he got flung off his bike, and I was like, "Oh shit, no!" And he broke several parts of himself that day. And this track is is already borderline dangerous as it is to run these. Bikes. I, I would compare it they almost. Take any I, I would compare it almost to the twenty sixteen Daytona twenty four hours when we had a dead car. Mm. on a, a blind approach of the first turn and they sat there and let it let it sit there up until the delta wing ran into the back of it basically going at full chat it's inexcusable they, they, they should have called it these guys are already right, gladiators enough they you don't have to lionize them by throwing them to stupidly dangerous situations like this it, that's how i summed it up needlessly dangerous that's that's how it was to me they should have called it right there and then. Like As Lewis says, a good race director doesn't wait for a rider to crash before deeming it unsafe. You're supposed to intervene before it gets that far. And I, again, I wholeheartedly agree. They should have called it the moment Suzuki blew up. There was no point in continuing. The race was effectively done from a competitive standpoint. Jonathan had an 18-second lead at that point. Like, it shouldn't have to wait until somebody bins it. Because that's the thing. When Ray crashed, the red flag was out less than 20 seconds later. It's almost like the directors knew they fucked up. As far as I'm concerned. Oh, jeez, the bikes are going like, down. We should they, stop this. It's one too many. And Suzuka is not a track where you want to take liberties, quite frankly. They should have called it right there and then. And I'm disappointed that we had a mess of a finish to what was otherwise a fantastic Grand Prix. A fantastic exhibition for endurance racing and bike racing in general. Um, as mentioned, Kawasaki Racing Team winning it by 18 seconds over Alex Lowe's and the Yamaha Factory Racing Team of Lowe's, Van der Mark and uh, Nagasuka. Uh, again, like the the time doesn't tell the full story. These three teams, Red Bull Honda finishing third, a minute and six on top. Takashi was in full bring it to the they flag. They had nothing left the in the tank. Down. Yeah, he, he was exhausted, and I don't blame him. And this is a race that's so physically demanding. It's like you're doing a superbike race, parking it, Jumping in a in a cool tub to get your temperature back down, and then go doing another superbike race, and, and even more so because again they were down to two riders. 
Yeah, they like again, Kawasaki and Honda ran two bike teams when they had the possibility of running three. They didn't risk Kawasaki didn't risk using top rack. And we'll get into the implications of that about in about a half an hour's time. But oh man. Um Kawasaki winning it from Yamaha and Red Bull Honda. Um, and Kawasaki and won the endurance as well. title too. Yes, as a result of that yeah. Suzuki grenading its engine, the Toyo uh, 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 Start Kawasaki. Again. The Kawasaki SRC Team France team won the EWC title. Despite crashing themselves in the early I think they ended up 12th on the, the road. They did indeed. Um, yep, they finished 12th. David Checo um, was, yeah, had the victory celebrations at the end and winning the championship. He was, he was in floods of tears after he came off the bike, and it was a beautiful sight because he'd been riding again busted arm pretty much all year long. Jeremy Guarnoni, Erwin um, Nigon, David Sheka. First ever world title for for Kawasaki in the EWC. And by five points as well. Indeed, and their first win in the race period since 1993. <laughs> like, I was like, I was barely born in 1993. Like, Jesus. And as well, shout out to Lewis, uh, Lewis Spencer as well. Shout out to Tommy Bridewell and Bradley Ray of, of the British Superbike Championship. They were a two-man team all weekend for the S-Pulse Dream Racing team for Suzuki, and they finished in eighth. Well done, them. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a phenomenal effort from those guys as well. Yeah. Rounding off the top ten, um, FSC TSR Honda France in fourth, uh, Suzuki Mo- Yoshimura Suzuki in fifth, YART Yamaha in sixth, Musashasi HRC Pro Honda in seventh, um, as mentioned, Brad Ray and Tommy Bridewell on the S-Pulse Dream Racing team in 8th. Great job from them. KYB Morikari Racing in ninth, And the Honda Dream Sakurai Honda team rounding off the top 10 in the end. Go out of your way to watch this race. Yeah. Seriously, it, it it's well worth the watch. It was an awesome, fantastic exhibition for bike racing. Also worth noting, um, uh, Yamaha and, takes the manufacturer's yeah. title in EWC as well. Yeah, absolutely. They did. They did indeed. And again, as we mentioned, certainly at least the last hour and a half is well worth your time. Um, just you might want to fast forward the end. Just saying. But still, a magnificent exhibition for for bike racing and endurance racing in general. A fantastic race. I love Suzuka. The and the eight hours. I, I, this is bucket list stuff. I need to go. See Give us normal stuff. coverage in the U.S., please. In. Yes, please. Motor Trend um, TV, you're not yeah. showing anything on your regular channel. Might as well put it on. What are you doing? Selling advertising space? Put it on instead. Indeed. Indeed. I uh, think we'd stuff. rather watch no, uh, I think we'd rather watch this auction of some old guy paying too much for a busted ass Corvette. Sounds about right. <laughs> After this quick musical break, we'll come back and we'll talk the second maddest race of the day. IndyCar in mid Ohio. Scott Ditson wins at Mid-Ohio. But hold on. It's not quite that simple, is it? It never is in IndyCar these days, is it? No. Five races left. Four realistic title contenders. 
Oh my goodness, we got an absolute banger of an Honda Indy 200 at the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course, which actually does single-seater racing pretty damn well. Indeed. It's like, it's like, okay, it's predictable into a sense that Scott Dixon won. Everything else behind it was carnage. It's literally the gif of nothing to see here, please disperse. Because <laughs> the building is literally exploding behind him. Um, it's... It, he won it, but only just by 0.09 of a second. It's the third closest road or street victory in the history of IndyCar. Uh, 0.0934 in the end, because IndyCar goes to 10 thousandths of a second. It's, it's, it's neat. It's very nerdy. Wait, who's that behind him? It's his teammate, Felix Rosenquist. The rare Ganassi one, too. Penske's are black the hell did and Dreddy's are blue. Something, something, Ganassi 1-2. Um, it was strange. As Mid-Ohio tends to do, your front runners typically split into two stoppers and three stoppers. You could push harder on three stops, but you're taking an extra stop. You have to stop less on two stops, but you are having to save fuel. But Scott Nitz's number one asset is his fuel saving. He finally got that Infinity Gauntlet back from uh, Colton Herta. <laughs> mm, ripped it out of his cold, dead arms. Dixon did what Dixon does best. Fuel save into a superior strategy, and the race pretty much came to him. But Felix was not was 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 was, was going down swinging, basically, the whole way through. He was brilliant. Again, we all thought Felix was running a two-stopper in this race. It looked like it, but he's, his pace was sensational. Um, given he had to come through from, from sixth on the grid, and he was putting moves on people. Like, like as Henry points out in the Discord, he switched in the middle of his second stint to a three-stop strategy because they thought they had the pace to get away with it on three stops, and it very nearly worked Watch out his start on the car. opening lap. He was a man possessed at the start of this race, and he was pushing Scott Nitson all the way through the end, having to fight off an armada of lap cars who, again, are not necessarily entitled to yield track position. His pass on willpower was absolutely Scotty nominee. It was a shame. It, it, oh, God, yeah. It was... It's a shame because Robin Miller's Robin Miller had to talk all over it but during the race's coverage itself. Like, like shut the fuck up, Robin. This after like, World this Power had already been through the wars with Scott Nitson earlier in the race. Yeah, Dick, like, Power had been hard committed to the right-hand side of the back straight pretty much all the way through the middle of the race. And it took Dixon pretty much bullying Power off his line in order to come through in the end. But, uh, again, if you have not seen it, Rosenquist's move on Power was racecraft perfection personified. That is why we call him the driver for hire, because that was world-class from Felix Rosenquist. Um, to put the move on it. Shut the fuck up, Robin Miller. Like, holy Now do you shit, understand why we were brilliant. excited when they brought this dude in? Stunning. Absolutely stunning from Felix Rosenquist. Um, a brilliant race. Deserved the victory, as far as I'm concerned. Only missed out by a tenth of a second, effectively. Uh, it was a photo finish over the line. Like, Felix was was throwing the house um, at Dixon to try and oh, find and the way Oh, he got up the inside. The lap. And Scott Dixon yeah, just slammed it. the door on his toes. Yeah. Yeah, Dixon, like, it, it was, it was, I'm more, it was a, it was a, it was basically the world's fastest game of my dick's bigger than yours, basically, because Felix tried a dive bomb at, at, at the keyhole, Dixon slammed the door in his face, both survived, 
just again Dixon had to play ultra defensive all the way around there's not really a big passing opportunity beyond the back straight um, Felix tried the, the slow down pass him on the exit of the final corner because Dixon's tyres were cooked by the end of this on the two stopper because he was on the soft tyre the, uh, the alternate, as they call it, the sticker reds in IndyCar, on the final stint. His tyres were shot by the end of this. And, yeah, he was on used reds for the last 29 laps of that race. And Dixon somehow, somehow won. I, I do not know so, how. Like, it was a... He's ma- Scott Dixon. It's, he it's just, his 46th career win. It's his 46th career win. He's now sixth away from Mario Andretti. Mario! Again, he is sixth away from Mario GDMF Andretti. Yeah. The god himself. Oh, dear. As, as like, he ages, again. just Scott Dixon goes from strength to strength. He likes ginger nuts on his pancakes. He loves to fuel save better than anybody else. And the man is a serial winner and champion. He's not even 40. And he's celebrated by knocking his wife up again. Because Emma's Emma's preggers again. More more pancakes. (laughs) More pancakes. Add another one to the stack. (laughs) (laughs) Scott Dixon is magnificent. What a driver he is. I, I don't know how he does this, but it's like... I was joking with my brother talking about this, that Dixon... I thought Dixon was out of the running at 98 points back going into this race. And Ryan was like, Dre, he's Scott Dixon. Like, like, you can never rule this man out. And what happens? He goes and wins. <laughs> and and, <laughs> and there's a reason. Only 62 there's a reason off. why he's only 68 points off. Yeah, because as it turns out, Scott Dixon slamming the door on Felix Rosenquist was not the last of the excitement in the keyhole that five-second period. Yeah, Joseph Newgarden on the final lap of the race for I'm going to take a lunge at Ryan Hunter Ray for the last spot on the podium in the because um, Hunter Ray and Newgarden were free stopping and obviously in a much faster race car at the end. Um, they were three-stopping on, on sticker reds, and they were in much faster cars they had to negotiate that traffic. Joseph took a swing at Ryan Hunter Ray on a window that was always closing in the middle of the keyhole, and Newgarden spins out, beaches the car, finishes in 14th place a lap down. Joseph, what were you doing? You can say something-something racing driver going for it. Take the points. You were already going to extend your lead over Rossi. Take the damn points. Alex Rossi was sixth and nursing that car home. He was running on fumes by the end. He, he ran car out conked at out. the end of the pit he lane. He ran out yards. Yeah, he, ru- he ran out yards after the flag. His car had maybe 300 yards of fuel left in it in the pipes when he crossed the line. Like... Rossi tried the two-stopper that he, that, he, that he won so dominantly here last year. It did not work. He could not feel safe enough. He had to limp home in what would inevitably be fifth. It should have been sixth. But Joseph took himself out of the keyhole. Joseph, you plonker, what were you thinking? It was not worth it. He just won three of the last six races. He just beat the field down in Iowa. I got nothing, man. Why? That might be a championship-defining mistake from Joseph. Instead of taking extra points, he lost 10. Yeah. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm just gonna pull up the results screen real quick so I can work out the exact swing of points involved here. Because New Garden did lead, I think, so he did get a bonus yes, point. He for led that. eleven laps. Scott um, Dixon led the most laps with thirty-eight. Will Power led twenty-six. Yeah. Was very unfortunate to only come away with fourth after taking yet another pole position. And Rosenquist led fifteen laps on his own. Yeah, it would have been thirty-two points for New Garden if he'd finished that race in fourth. Um, he only gets seventeen for finishing in fourteenth on the gravel. So you can argue. Including the extra two points that Rossi got, it's a it's something in the region of an eighteen point mm-hmm. swing. It um, brings not only Rossi but Pagano, who's back to being top, you know, far into the top ten every weekend, and Dixon, who won the race. It brings them closer in the title fight. It's a four way title fight now. There's sixty two points covering the top four. It's game on with with I think four races. With these left, four including with these four pulling out these results every weekend, you can't afford to do what Joseph did. No. It's you, you can't do it. And uh yeah, like I said, it could easily be a title defining mistake from Joseph Newgarden there. And that's the first time I can ever remember Joseph doing something truly boneheaded on a racing circuit in many, many certainly years. Certainly at Penske. And, uh, certainly since he's joined Penske two years ago. That's uh, disappointing for a driver of his caliber to make such a boneheaded mistake. Um, and that could cost him dearly down the road. It reminds me a lot of the Watkins Glen incident from a couple of years ago where that may be the only other time Joseph completely cocked it. Um... You just don't expect that from a driver of his standard and caliber. But uh, running down the rest of the order real quick, as mentioned, Dixon on top by .09 over Felix Rosenquest in second. Again, crazy. IndyCar's having kind of a down year. Only the sixth different winner of the year in Dixon winning, but Felix becomes the 14th different podium sitter of IndyCar this season. Crazy stuff. Ryan hunter Ray. Who the guy that we've barely talked about all season? Ryan Hunter Ray, Captain America, third um, in the 28 car. Good for him. Great use His of the first podium since. To, get... to Austin? Mm. Christ. Yeah, first podium since Cota, since Henry. He's the biggest Hunter Ray fan in the world, so he would know. Yeah, his first podium since Cota, um, right back at the top of the year. So good for him in, 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 in there, in third place there. Willpower, a, a valiant effort on the two stopper. Um, he finished in fourth. A great weekend from him. A weekend he probably badly needed after how wretched it's his the best the powers looked since early on this season. Yeah, from pole finished in fourth. Couldn't do much more than that given the race around him. Drove very well. Drove hard. Couldn't. There was no more on the table with that two stopper at Penske that day. Great drive from Willpower. Good to see him back where he belongs, up the front. Alex Rossi in fifth, as mentioned, tried the two stopper. He dominated with last year. Couldn't save the fuel this time round. Um, barely, barely made it over the line in the end. And again, had Simon Pagano breathing down his neck. Um, Rossi finishing in fifth in the end. A vital fifth for his title effort. Simon Pagano in sixth. Spencer Piggott, another good drive from him in seventh place there. Ahead of Colton Herter in eighth as well. Again, good drives from the from the young boys again there. Graham Rahal, the earliest of the three stoppers. Didn't work out for him in this one. He finished in ninth. Jack Harvey in the top 10 and the highest finishing SPM car. We'll get to the reasons why in a minute. But another top 10 for Jack Harvey. He's quietly put together a pretty solid run of results in that Michael Shank car. Jack is back. Good for him. Jack is back. Great to see. Great to see. Seb Borday 
had to go through the pits four times over the course of his race. Still finishing 11th. Why? Because Seb Bourdais. That's why. <laughs> um, Santino Ferrucci in 12th. Paul Tracy can put his schlong back in his pants now. Ed Jones in 13th, the last of the runners um, on the lead lap. As worth mentioned as well from Henry, Ed Bourdais was taken out by Herter in the early period of the race as well, which wasn't ideal. Um, Ed Jones 13th. Joseph Newgarden 14th. Again, he was a lap down, parked it in the gravel trap ahead of Marco Andretti, Max Chilton. Good to see Arcee Edison back in an IndyCar again. He was in 17th place. Matt Laced in 18th. Takuma Sato, 19th. Tony Kanaan, 20th. Zach Veach in 21st. And if you're wondering where those SPM cars were, unfortunately, uh, Marcus Eriksson was the victim of getting clattered into by Takuma Sato on the opening corner of the race. He then clattered into James Hinchcliffe, Hinchcliffe would finish three laps down. Marcus would park his car at the end of lap two. So uh, both full times, uh, both full time SPM cars, uh, basically finishing way, way down the order. RJ, you know the nickname. Takuma, two dinners and a nap. Sato. No, the other. Oh one. yeah, uh, not not now. Not now, it's Sato. Not the time. <laughs> No dear, but uh, a, an epic finish. He, like, again, if you have not seen the IndyCar race, it's a great race on paper. The finish is a 10 out of 10 finish. It's, it's a stunning bit of driving from the guys in the If front. you're listening to and this, if you're listening to this, and if you haven't watched any of these races, we've just given you like hours upon hours of things for you to watch after you're done listening to this. Absolutely. Go listen to it and then listen to us again. It's a great idea. To, to put into perspective the IndyCar Championship with, with with a handful of races to go, Joseph Newgarden's lead has been shrunk to 16 points over Alex Rossi. But creeping on in the background, Simon Pagenaud is there now. He's only 47 off the top now in third. And Scott Dixon, cue the Jaws music, 62 off the top. Oh dear, oh dear. Guys, you let Dixon back in the race. That could be a very, very bad mistake. I'm yeah, just saying. Like, more than just letting Rossi get closer, you don't give Scott Dixon a rope. You don't. You don't give him a chance. No, because no, he will find the way to shithouse another couple of wins. Like, if he wins the double pointer at the Guna Saker, who says he, he says he doesn't win the title? They're right there. And Especially if someone does a Rossi and screws up the final race like last year. Oh, Lord. Rest of the top 10, Will Power and 356 in 5th. Hunt Hunter Ray up to 6th place on 333. Not now Sato, whose season's really fallen off. Down to 7th now on 322. He's 10 ahead of Graham Rahal on 312. Our boy Felix on 296, up into the top 10 again with that great second place performance there on 296. Ahead of James Hinchcliffe, who rounds up the top 10 on 287. IndyCar is back in three weeks' time. On my birthday weekend, we're going to the we're going to Pocono. I think for the five hundred. Yes, there, I think, yes, isn't it? we are friends of the show, such as host co-host Meredith Zoe Hamilton will be here. Sarah Connors and Elizabeth Blacktock will be here. That'll be on August eighteenth. I think most importantly, I think we're all really just hoping that everybody gets out of this one safely. Yes, and that sir. the race is good. Yes, please. Yes, please. The racing being good would be a bonus. And also, get home, okay? Penske, we... give Pagano that chassis again. It's a good chassis. <laughs>
Right. Should we get into the news before we get out of here? Yes. Uh, we have breaking news. We have breaking news in Formula One. Yeah, Adam Frost is going back into the boardroom. He's the new non-executive director of the Renault F1 team. This announced just today at the date of recording. Oh, boy. Uh, So I think that explains the truck crash. Don't worry. Everybody was fine. There was a Renault team truck. Everybody that was involved, okay. But the truck did end up going off the road on the way from Germany to Hungary. Yep. Uh, Alain Prost will replace Renault's CEO on the board of the team, effectively taking a similar role to what the late Nicky Lauda had at Mercedes. The exact same role, non-executive chairman, basically. Um, so yeah, expect him to wear a lot of cool caps and not be angry at anybody, despite Renault being a bit shit this year, because Alain Prost is the nicest man in the world, apparently. So uh, have fun with that. Just show him some replays of Suzuka 1990, he'll get angry eventually. Who, who wants a silly season story? Oh. Uh, I do. Yeah, because the biggest domino in IndyCar City season has, I want to say fallen, but more like stayed up and been cemented to the it ground. It got glued in Alex, place. Yeah, Alex Rossi is sticking around with Andretti Autosport and Honda in a new multi-year extension that apparently Rossi was dying to reveal um, during the weekend. And yeah, like it turns out, according to one Robin Miller, that uh, basically half the paddock wanted to sign him up uh, including one zach brown who wanted him full-time in a joint andretti mclaren effort but the only problem was they would have had to switch to chevrolet to make it work and as yeah, honda said honda and as honda said to uh mclaren for indy this year go find your engine somewhere else yeah, it looks like the ghosts of Fernando Alonso in previous comments past are still biting Andretti in, in the cojones because... Uh, Happy 38th birthday, Nando! Yeah, turns out Honda wants nothing to do with you anymore. Like, nothing. Well, like, now that... this one of a fuck is being given here, right? Well, now that they've got GP2 victories in Formula 1... Yeah. <laughs> Fernando? Fernando who? Basically. So yeah, McLaren tried to snipe the deal, Penske apparently tried to snipe the deal, but uh, apparently it put Rossi off when Penske said we're going to have to run four cars to make this work, uh, according to one Robin Miller, which is a weird one because he already drives for a four-car team right But he's now. already the most established driver at a four-car team. He would have to be starting over from scratch just as Pagano did in 2015, a year that almost cost him his job after just one season. Yeah. That's a good point. And he was never going to replace Pagano when Pagano laid the mightiest of beatdowns at in Indianapolis this year. Rossi is yeah. the guy at Andretti. Why would you change that? Yeah, he's already fighting for a title. Yeah, there was... Realistically, there was no real reason Rossi should have ever changed teams in the first place. It's his team. It's a team that's capable of winning anything on paper in IndyCar right now. Stick around. It's your team. And that's basically what this deal was in the end. So, yeah, complete no-brainer. Alex Rossi sticks around. And good, because I don't want to see every top-tier driver drive a goddamn Penske. <laughs> For the love of God, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that Andretti's got at least one top contender in there. And maybe another if he actually has some good luck in this season. So, And now yeah. we can start the Colton Herta to Penske rumors. Oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Could you imagine? There's going to be a fight club over Colton Herta's signature because everyone knows, let's just buy him out of that friggin' Harding deal that he's got right at the moment. You know. Yeah. Vic, what you what just happens. said 
12 months time, James Hinchcliffe and Colton Hurd are going to Penske. <laughs> Dre, calm down. Don't... Calm down, Dre. I have an erection. Um... <sighs> right, um... Let's get into something more wholesome. <clears throat> anyway, um, Canada. great to see uh, our, our, our beloved wholesome second generation boy, Mick Schumacher. Yeah, because uh, we got to see him drive the uh, 2004 Ferrari F2004 at Hockenheim in the wet, and it was beautiful. Don't you dare oh. tell me your eyes were dry! Don't you dare! He was wearing oh. the half himself, half Michael's helmet. It just, it looked correct out there. It really did. It just did. looked right. It just looked right. It really didn't, you know, the half and half helmet tribute is still a thing, which is just awesome. And yeah, it was, it was beautiful. It really was. I loved it. Um, great, great to see. And uh, yeah, it was wonderful. And I loved that somebody asked him in the interview afterwards, like, is there anyone on the grid you compare yourself to as a driver right now? And Mick said, no, I compare myself to my dad. Oh boy. I do hope he. Stop. I know. I know he's had his struggles in Formula 2 this year. I know he was a slow starter in Formula 3. I know we're putting the weight of his world in his shoulders. When you see moments like this, it all just puts it all into perspective and really tells, reminds us of all of what's really important here. Indeed. Oh, boy. Yeah. And yeah. speaking of wholesome things that happened, um, if you're a fan of 500cc motorcycle racing, you may vaguely remember the name Tech. Takuma Aoki. Um, His brother, Nobuatsu, of course, had a lot of success in Grand Prix motorcycle racing. And through 1997, when he was riding for Repsol Honda, uh, it looked like he might follow suit. He was fifth in the 97 championship. But in 1998, he suffered a spinal cord injury that left him paralyzed below the race. And it took him a long time just to get back into racing, First in cars, he did the Dakar rally, he did some GT Asia events. But after a successful trial run, he made his first ride on a motorcycle in public in 22 years, but just before the start of the Suzuka 8 hours. It was awesome. It was it was beautiful to see. Um, I grew up watching Aoki race um, back in the 500cc days. Um, it was one of the earliest memories I can remember of bike racing, and uh, that was awesome to see. Um, you know, great to see that again we're making gains for, you know, paraplegic racing in in general. Because as you know, we've seen a lot of progression in the four wheel stakes, not so much on two, and uh, that is truly awesome to see. Um, um, so yeah, fantastic to see Takuma Yoki back on a bike for the first time in gosh nearly my entire lifetime that's actually quite scary to even think about uh, <laughs> we've got a bit of a breaking news funny story here as well now we didn't mention this during the German Grand Prix segment because we just we just didn't have the time because it was just so such a crazy weekend in general you may have seen on Daniel Ricciardo's Instagram feed that uh, he was at one point during the German weekend trapped in a lift uh, with literally half the paddock you may have seen this. It was him. I think it was uh, Danny Kvyat and Nando Norris and Carlos Sainz and a bunch of dudes all stuck in an, in, a, in a lift um, in Germany, um, thinking, "Oh God, this is hilarious!" Half the paddocks in a lift. It's like that episode of Tuned all over again. But no, turns out Ricardo would prank the lift into not working. 
<laughs> Again, this this just barely cracks the top ten of weirdest shit that happened at the German Grand Prix. Daniel Ricciardo is such a fucking frat boy. It's ridiculous. Oh <laughs> like, my god! And I love that Lewis pointed out in this called "Revenge for Pubes Gate." <laughs> <laughs> it was. Because apparently Lando Norris was the one who busted the prank, which I think is hilarious. Uh, he's, 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 got, he's, he's a very smart kid for 19, isn't he, Lando? God bless him. Uh, he really is. Yes. RJ, road to Indy? <laughs> yes, we had we had the full support ticket. Um, Indy Lights, Oliver Askew is starting to put this championship to rest. With two victories from pole position, he has now pulled out a 45-point lead over Renus VK, who finished third in both races. Oliver Askew with a perfect weekend. Ryan Norman and Toby Sowery taking the other podiums there. Um, Kyle Kirkwood, the man who wrecked all comers last year in USF 2000 and American F4, well, he's getting things working out in Indy Pro 2000, the artist formerly known as Pro Mazda. He had a perfect weekend and has now closed to within 13 points of points leader Rasmus Lind, who came away with a second and a third. Two different winners in the USF 2000 Championship. We had Christian Rasmussen winning race one, Hunter McElroy winning race two. Braden Eve still leads, but he's only nine points now ahead of McElroy with just two rounds left. Awesome. It's awesome to hear. Ask you, didn't you drop his, he's having an in, he's part of the guys getting indie car tests very, very yes. soon? Yes. Yes. Um, Ask you, VK's getting involved. Felipe Nazar, Do Brazil, Do 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 is getting indie car test. Oh, yeah. Alex Palu, who just won the last Super Formula race, is getting an indie car test. It's amazing. Sure. Great to hear. Great to hear. Um, Cam, tell us very briefly about the Spa 24 hours. <sighs> throw your rain, throw your anime cars, and throw your Rene Rass at them. Kevin Estra at Spa still arrives. He pushed everyone a in the fucking dirt in that last stint. Porsche took a 1-2 finish, if you couldn't tell. Yeah. He's very happy. Yeah. Uh, winning car of GPX Racing with the full works lineup of Michael Christensen, Richard Leeds, and Kevin Estra. Estra and Christensen just won the GT World Championship in the WEC, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. They're pretty good at this. Um, Kevin Estra at Spa shouldn't be allowed. He's the GT equivalent of Kimi Raikkonen at Spa. He's the dude who pulled the over and under pass at the six hours in the snow at the top of Radion. It is Radion, actually. Yeah, who would have thought it? Yeah. Finished only 3.3 seconds ahead of Frederick McAvecki, Patrick Pile, and Nick Tandy in the number 998 Row Racing Porsche. That's Lord Tandy to you. Lord Tandy. Hey, I'm the biggest Nick Tandy fan here. Yes. And I think most importantly of all, one of the good smile racing Black Falcon Mercedes the Promare Mercedes AMG of Mauro Engel, Lucas Stoltz, and Yellow Berman finishing third. Yeah. Doing it for the culture. Doing it for the culture. That rounds out the podium. Um, this race had... Lots of safety cars. Lots of safety cars. Lots of red flag. The conditions were as bad, if not worse, than Daytona 24 hours earlier this year. And that was saying something. They shattered the record for the least laps completed since 2003, when a subclass car won the race. Yeah. 
Um, and not only that, we had an incident during the night where there were fireworks going off, and the fireworks smoke actually drifted onto the track and gave them a fog effect. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Good job, dumbasses. Uh, you brought the Florida man to Belgium, I see. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Porsche <laughs> takes their first win at this race since 2010, and the first major endurance win for the updated 911 GT3R. But did one of our Patreon backers see it in person? No. That's because that happened at Ipswich and Supercars. Our friend of the show, James Kalantz, has got to see his boy Jamie Wincup win one, and then got to see Scott McLaughlin win his 14th race and get a $10,000 fine for bo- for bragging about Penske and Ford wrapping up the Manufacturers' Championship because good teams win, great teams cover, legendary teams taunt. Yeah. You pour in blood, sweat, and tears, and then you lose to Penske. Of course. How are we going to follow up next week? We're not. Magyar Nagatish. If Hungary if Hungary is a tenth as good as Germany, it will be insane. It won't be. And you know what? It's 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 Hungary. There is a chance. Yep, it's either if there's a spe- it's either going to be There's a smidge of rain or something crazy. Hungary will be immense. It has there an is no It's either it, going to be a race no of the round. year. There is no in-between. It's either going to be a race of the year candidate or awful. And if none of those, if that race doesn't deliver, how about the rest of this platter? MotoGP is back at Bruneau this weekend. Woohoo! Oh, shit. One of the best rounds on the calendar. Bruneau's one of the real blue ribbon events on the calendar. You're going to get 100, 100 plus thousand in the house. Trust me, I would know. And uh, yeah, it's a fantastic Race, race, race track, and yeah, we are probably bound to get at least five men compete for the win. Can't wait. Or five <laughs> so. men competing for second, because we know how this year has gone. Yeah, yep. that's more likely. For our rally fans, we have the Thousand Lakes Rally Rally Finland coming up. Cam, we got some super some sports cars coming up. A double decker. Oh yeah. Ooh. That's right, Imset Road America and Super GT back at Fuji for the 500 miles, their longest race of the season. Yeah, and thank God, yes, they finally pegged back the Mazdas, because the last two races were Mazda bloodbats. We'll see how it goes. Thank Christ. Oh dear, will be a fun one indeed. And we have World Rally, they're back at Finland as well, always a popular round. So the World Rally Championship will be back in Finland as well. A still surprisingly deep weekend of motorsport. If it's half as good as this one, we're in for a treat. Take my word for it. What a fantastic weekend. For me, the best weekend of motorsport we've had in 2019, and probably for a good couple of years. One of the best of the Um, decade. Yeah. And this was when we had a pretty good day of classics, all things considered. Great for me. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 great. It's it's tremendous. It's fantastic. Um, again, go watch motorsport this weekend, okay? Seriously, this sport is awesome when it wants to be. It, it, you have a lot really of catching does. up to do if you haven't watched it already. Indeed. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stick it on Patreon early access for all our backers, regardless of level this weekend. Oh, so yeah! Yeah! So there you go. Breaking news, you heard it here first. All Patreon backers will get this. 
we'll get this episode early. So how about chew on that apples Discord? Um, so have have some of that. Um, so yeah, I'll put I'll put that in the notice board as soon as this show goes off the air. But uh, in the meantime, basically you can find us before we get out of town. YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 twitter at motorsport underscore 101 our personal handles at harrison 101 hd at rj o'connell and at c at cam buckley 917 take out the vowels um places you can find us as well if you'd like us if you'd like ugh, i can't talk if you really like us you can back us financially on patreon patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 all backers will get this episode early um but normally it's five praise be access to all all of our shows. Yeah, it's a, it's a good weekend for the Church of Dre. I thought I'd be generous. Why not? And $10 gets you early access to all of our shows and in the supporters club of our Discord server where you can listen to all of our shows live as they go out as well. Massive thanks to the Discord as always for tuning in. Um, Vince is here. Thanks to Lewis. Thanks to Henry, Vic, uh, Toki and Steve for joining us. Thanks. I hope you guys enjoyed the show this week. We'll be back next week. As I mentioned, if next week is as half as good as this one, my God, we're in for a treat. I've been Andre Harrison. They've been Cam Buckley and RJ O'Connell. Thank you very much for listening. And after God, like 133 minutes, we're out of here. Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye. Later, y'all. Until next time. Dear God. Hour and 10 minutes. <laughs> I don't mind. And I, I do not give a shit. So there's probably more stuff we could have gone into. Oh man. I can't believe we forgot the we forgot the lights getting taken out by the bus. <laughs> that was like the tenth craziest thing to happen. It barely makes the top ten. Oh dear. This this can be the end of show segment at the end. <laughs> Oh dear, but uh, well, let's just get into the movie for some bikes. Oh my god.